Sabbath to those gathered here in Naples and also those online. Glad that you're here. My name is Pedro Perez. I work in the Florida Conference as the Pathfinder and Adventure Director, and I decided not to wear that uniform today. <laughs> so it's nice to be able to be with you. Um, I believe Steve Jenks was here last Sabbath, yes, and introduced a new pastor to you. And I'm excited to say that Pastor Art is a friend of mine that I've known from way back in New England from 2006, and I have a lot of respect for him. I'm very happy that he'll be at this church. I'm very happy that you'll have him as your pastor along with his wife Vivian and their two kids, Maya and Victor. We're so happy that the Freud family has come to be a part of what God's doing here in Naples with you. Thank you so much to the praise team for the music. That was a blessing. Thank you for that. Yes. Thank you for your passion and for your interest in sharing music. That was great. Uh, on behalf of Alan Machado, the president of Florida Conference, I extend greetings to you officially from the conference, and we are glad to be here. Thank you, Sharon, for helping host and set this up as your first elder here. What a great chance to be together. Um, our title today is Basic Needs. What's our title? Basic needs. All right, Basic Needs. Are you ready? Let's jump in. When you think about basic needs, what comes to mind? What are your basic needs as a human being? Air, water, food, shelter. You got it. Let's go through them again. Basic needs. Which one is the most urgent? Which one is the most life-threatening? How long can you oh? How long can you survive without air? Roughly, anybody know? Two, three minutes, right? Without air. So air is a basic need. Would we agree? Yeah. Now, why is basic needs important? In Florida, you have these things called hurricanes. Have you figured this out? <laughs> In Florida, you have hurricanes. Up north, you have things like ice storms and snowstorms, and it can be a, a life-threatening thing. So you think about basic needs. In Florida, when there's a hurricane, you go to the grocery store, and what's it hard to find? Water, Water right? You, the basic needs are hard. Like, you can't hardly find bread and peanut butter. Like, you can live for a while on bread and peanut butter, right? That's perish, non-perishable food. So just think about basic needs. That's where I want your mind to go today, basic needs. First thing is air. You can survive about three minutes without air. The next most urgent basic need, who would like to say what it is? Water. How long can you last without water? Someone said it, three days. So three minutes without air, but you could go three days without water. Water is important, right? Like I, I've been to the place where I've been dehydrated. And when you get dehydrated, you got to go to the hospital because your body starts to shut down and they got to pump IV liquid into you because you got to get rehydrated. Like water is very important, right? Anybody ever been there? Okay. You got a witness, a couple witnesses. Good. So first air, next water. What's the most, next most important need? That's a Floridian talking, right? That's a Floridian talking. Toilet paper, very good. So if you can go three minutes without air, three days without water, how many days can you go without food? You can go about 30 days. Like you can go, so it's in sets of threes, right? So it's interesting to me that when you think about basic needs, you've got the air, food and water, and also shelter. Like if you don't find shelter, they say that that's probably a, about a three hours. Like you couldn't survive in sub cold or super hot desert for about three hours. So that's where shelter fits in. 
But it's interesting to me to think about basic needs. So let's pause for a moment, put those basic needs aside, and think about once those needs are met, once you've had the food, water, air, shelter met, what are your next basic needs? Jesus, what? Hope, okay, interesting. Someone else? Health, okay, yeah, good. There's a common theme here in Naples. I'm getting that, I'm getting that. So I would like to suggest that there are three basic needs that every human being has that we might not think about. And that's where I'd like to take you on our time together with this sermon. We're talking about basic needs. If you have a copy of scriptures with you, please go to Genesis chapter 16. If you have a copy of the scriptures, please go to Genesis 3.16. Just as we talked about there are three basic core needs, food, air, water, I'm going to suggest to you three other basic needs that you and I all have as human beings. If you're in the book of Genesis with me, I'm starting in chapter 16, and I'm going to begin in verse 1. Quickly, you'll identify the story if you've been a follower of Jesus. If not, the story will help you kind of see the, the framework for what we're going to talk about today. Genesis chapter 16, first book of the Bible, chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him how many children? No children. So you start getting the story. But she had an Egyptian maidservant. Story gets a little thicker, right? The maidservant's named Hagar. And so she, Sarai, said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Makes you kind of wonder if he had lost his mind, right? Verse 3. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai took, his, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Near Eastern time culture, very common to have a maidservant come in to be a second wife or secondary wife. This wasn't part of God's plan. I don't want anyone to leave here today and say, the pastor told me I can go. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's what happened here. And you'll find as the story goes, that wasn't God's plan. It's interesting, right? So notice what happened. So after Hagar gets pregnant, Sarah, who couldn't get pregnant, now has a problem. When she knew that she was pregnant, that's the slave girl, she began to despise her mistress. Can you see it? I don't know, but in my mind, it's like, I'm pregnant, you're not. <laughs> I can give Abraham something you can't. I will give him a future. I will give him a son. I will give him a nation. The promise God gave will come through me, not you. You want to see a woman boil? Try that. And so the story goes on. It says, then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Does there sound like any dysfunction in this family? Anybody, anybody sense dysfunction? Yeah. I put my servant in your arms. This is Sarai still talking. And now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. So Sarah kind of washes her hands. So you get the story. That's the background. Genesis 16 opens with a woman, Sarai, a man, Abram. They can't have children. They've been living in Canaan for 10 years. So Sarah suge or Sarai suggests to Abram, hey, I've got a servant. 
why don't you have a child with her because I can't. She gets pregnant, the servant girl. She throws it in the face of the wife. She comes back and says, you've got a problem, Abraham. You need to deal with it because this is your fault. Abraham says later on, she's your servant. Do with her whatever you want. So Sarah decides it's time to kick her out of the house. So Hagar doesn't know what else to do, so she walks away. Now, again, in that culture, in that time, to be a woman, pregnant, alone, without a man, was that a good or bad situation? It was rough, right? It was going to be rough for her. That was just the facts. It was going to be rough for her. So as she's going out there, think about this for a moment. As I was preparing for this, I read something that caught my attention. Who do you think introduced God to Hagar? Think about that for a moment. Who do you think introduced God to Hagar, the servant from Egypt, that lived with Sarah and Abraham, now at that point Sarah and Abram, who do you think introduced God to the servant? Probably a good chance that it was who? Abram and Sarah, right? And now these people that opened her eyes to see who God is, all of a sudden are trying to get rid of her and kick her out. It's interesting, isn't it? Like the more you think about the story and the details and wonder and say, what's going on? Now, this is where the story gets interesting, and this is where we find the first need. Hagar, kicked out, pregnant, alone, in a desert, wonders, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Who can help me? And this is where I love the story, and I think it gets the most interesting. All of a sudden, the scriptures will talk about Verse 7, it says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring. And as you go through the story, all of a sudden, for the first time, no one else in Scripture does this. No one. No one else gives God a name. But as this angel appears and talks to Hagar, she realizes, oh, my goodness, this is God. God actually sees me. God actually knows what I'm going through. God actually knows the problem that I'm in. God actually sees my suffering. I am seen by the one who sees me. And so for the first time in scripture, never happens again, a human gives a new name to God. Our praise team leader, um, when he was talking, did you hear him start to say some names of God? Jehovah, Jireh, all those other names. Those are all names that God gives himself. But here, Hagar gives a name called El Roy, the one who sees me. She names God a new name. So all of a sudden, in the middle of her problems, in the middle of her mess, she gets comfort because God sees her. Now, just hang on for a second. Does, does anyone ever have problems here? Has anyone ever had things go bad for them? Anyone have ever, ever have things go wrong? I like what one guy says. He says, everybody that has a plan knows a plan only lasts until you get punched in the mouth. Like you have a plan. You, you, you think about what your life's going to be. When I was at summer camp, a young guy about 16 years old, I met another summer camp staff who was like 20 years old. And this was a while back, right? Like I'm, I'm not close to 16 anymore. But he told me this. He said, when I'm 23, I'm going to get married. When I'm 24, I'm going to have my first kid. When I'm 25, I'm going to have my second kid. By the time I'm 35, I'm going to have my house paid for. And he had his whole life planned out. And I thought to myself, I want to be like him when I grow up. Like, I'm 16, so I can wait. But when I'm 20, like, I'm going to have, a, I'm going to know how many kids, what wife, what date, what house, 
what car. It's all going to be planned out. And then I realized life happened. <laughs> Anybody been there? If you could have taken a snapshot of what you thought your life would be when you were 15, when you were 20, when you were 25, when you're 30, 35, 40, 60, 75, do you think any of those snapshots shots would line up to exactly how you thought your life would be? What did Hagar grow up as a slave girl in Egypt? What did she think her life was going to be? A slave to Pharaoh, probably. Now a slave to Abram and Sarah. Oh, all of a sudden I'm promoted to a wife? All of a sudden I'm going to have an inheritance? And then all of a sudden she gets the boot. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when life throws a curveball at you? What do you do when, when your inheritance gets pulled away? What do you do when your R, R, IRA drops apart? What do you do when the stocks fall and the money that you thought you had for retirement is gone? What do you do when you lose your job? What do you do when there's something happening in your marriage? What do you do when something happens to one of your kids? What do you do when life happens? And I would challenge you for wherever you are, to remember what Hagar found out. The first basic need that she realized is, God sees me. God sees me. Like whatever I'm going through, whatever I'm dealing with, whatever problem I'm facing, God's in it. God shows up. God sees what I'm going through. He sees the struggle that I have. He sees the pain that I'm going through. He sees the hurt, the heartbreak, the brokenness, whatever it is. He sees it. God is the God who sees. And I would argue this morning that one of our first basic needs is to realize that God sees me. Whatever I'm going through, whatever is happening to me, whatever challenge I face, God sees me. If I'm going through or been through a divorce, if I'm going through a relationship that's on hard times, if I have a kid who's gone somewhere that I didn't want them to, whatever it is, God is the God. Who sees me. That's something worth remembering. That's something worth tucking away. And I would dare to say it's even as basic as food, air, and water. Because I'm telling you, if you haven't had life come at you, it will. It's just what it means to live on planet Earth. I don't mean to give you a spoiler alert or to be a downer, but it's not about what happens to us. It's about how we deal with what happens and who we hang on to as it happens. And if we can remember that God is the God who sees me, I know I'm not alone. I know that I don't have to face this without help. Even if a human help doesn't show up, God does. Quick story. I did some research, and there's this tribe in Africa called the Zulu tribe. And I love the way that they greet each other. How do you and I normally greet each other? Hi. And what do you say in response? Hi. Now, is there anything fun about that? There's not really. So this tribe in Africa, I'm going to make sure that I get it right. I love the words that they use. When you come to see somebody, you stand in front of them and you say, Sikona. They look back at you and say, Sawabona. Now that's just fun to say, right? That's way better than hi, right? Sikona. Sawabona. Sikona. This is fun. I think it is. But it's even more fun when you know what it means. When someone shows up to say Sikona, what they're really saying is, I'm here to be seen. That's what it means. So when I see you, I say, I'm here to be seen. That's a call for your attention. 
It's a call for you to focus on me. It's a call for you to say, I'm ready for you. Because the sawabona is, I see you. Do you get it? I'm here to be seen. A response? I see you. I acknowledge you. I see that you're in front of me. I see that you're here. I'm ready to acknowledge you. I think it's beautiful. What would happen if the next time that you saw somebody, you said, I'm here to be seen? <laughs> and what if they freaked you out and said, I see you? <laughs> but isn't that an upgrade from hello? Like, I think that's a huge, that's several levels up. Why? Because I think inside of every human's heart is the desire to be seen. If you don't believe me, look at a little kid someday. Mom, 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 look, 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 I can jump. Dad, look at my muscle. Look at, there's no muscle there, but, uh, oh, yeah, look at those muscles. Every kid wants to be seen, I guarantee you. Every kid wants to be acknowledged. I see you. You matter to me. You're valuable. And guess what? As we age, it doesn't change. <laughs> we don't jump up and down and say, look, I can jump. We do other stuff. We get into habits that we shouldn't. Trying to say, do you notice me? Do you notice that I want to be needed? Or we'll dress in a certain way or we'll, we'll, we'll go do this. Like we do all, we get creative as adults of how we can say, can you see me? Does anybody see me? Does anybody notice me? Does anybody see that I'm here? I had a friend, one of the saddest things any other human being has ever told me. I had a friend in college who said, sometimes I wonder if I died and stayed in my room, if they wouldn't notice until my body started to stink. Now think about that for a moment. Do you have friends? Do you have people who see you? Do you have people who miss you? Do you have people who care about you? Do you have people that you feel like you matter to them? Because if you don't and you don't think anybody sees you, do you think that affects how you feel? If you don't think God sees you, do you think that affects how you feel? Pretty sure you see it. So the first basic need I'd like to share with you is God comes up in Genesis 16 and he presents himself and he says, through this woman, this Egyptian slave girl, who's been kicked out from the people who are supposed to be the people of God who follow him. Kicked out, and all of a sudden, God appears to her and says, I see you. And she takes comfort in that. I think that's a beautiful part. So the first part, God sees me. The second part, if you notice in this, you, you keep reading through Genesis 16, Hagar's pregnant at that moment, right? She already got pregnant. That's why she's kicked out. Anybody know what name Hagar gave to her son? Anybody know what Ishmael means? Anybody? Check it out. Here's our second part. God hears. Are you with me? Hagar has this revelation. I, all of a sudden, I'm seen by the one who sees me. God sees me. He knows what's happening. And God says, you're going to have a son. He's in your belly right now. And the name you will give to that son is Ishmael. Because every time you say his name, Ishmael, I want you to know, I hear you too. I not only see you, but I can hear you too. And this is where the story gets even more interesting. Because now, Ishmael's born, right? And Genesis chapter 21 is the next part, the second basic need to be heard by God, to be heard by someone. Has anyone ever said, would you just listen? Yeah, have you said that? Why? 
because you want to be heard. You want to be understood. Like that's human, that's basic. That's like, that's everyone's desire. I want to be seen and I want to be heard. And so Hagar gets this gift from God. He comes to her and says, I'm the one who sees you and your son will remind you every time you call his name. I'm also the God who hears you. Now, if things were bad for Hagar then, it's interesting. The angel tells Hagar to go back to Sarah and to stay with Abram and Sarah. That's Genesis 16. So she raises her son Ishmael in that home with all of that tension, all of that struggle, all of that strife. Abraham and Sarah finally get pregnant. What child, what do they name their child? Isaac. Isaac, pretty good. So Isaac is born. Now, Genesis 21 opens up where Hagar, I'm sorry, Abraham wants to throw a party for his son because he's weaned. So he's old enough where he can eat on his own. He can eat real food. So he's old enough to eat. Notice with me, now we're in Genesis 21. It says, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Is God ever late? Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. Now, when his son was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him, and you keep going through. Jump to verse eight. The child grew, this is Ishmael, the child grew, I'm sorry, this is Isaac. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah, Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham was mocking him. So Ishmael's making fun of who? Isaac. Now, again, you want to see Mama Bear get her fur up? Have somebody mess with one of Mama Bear's babies. Like, that's, that's like telling a grizzly, come tear me apart, right? And she said to Abraham, notice this again, get rid of that slave woman. Have you noticed as you go through the story, most of the time they refer to her as the slave woman, almost dehumanizing her, right? Like she's just an object. She's a possession. But when God comes, what does he do? He says to her, Hagar, have you ever heard God call your name, by the way, just a little side note? Have you ever heard God call you by name? The first time it happened to me, I was like, you know my name? Like, you know who I am? Like, I'm talking about this happened in my 40s. God called my name, and it blew me away. I was like, what? Every time they refer to her, she's a slave girl, mostly. God refers to her, she's Hagar. She has a name. She's a human. Sarah continues, get rid of that slave woman and her son. Doesn't even call him by name. For that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. So there's more at stake here than just my baby boy. The inheritance, the future, everything that God promised you, Abraham, will come through my son Isaac, not through that slave girl, right? So again, the tension's building in the story. Genesis 16, it builds because she found out she's pregnant. Genesis 21, it's building because now Ishmael is making fun of Isaac. So the two boys are going at it. By the way, has that ever stopped? <laughs> if you know your world history, those two brothers, the foundation of that is tension still in the Middle East to this day. It's interesting. That all started back here in Genesis. So Abraham's torn up, right? Because now he's got two sons and he loves both sons. But he knows he's got to do something. And so as you go on through this, they get kicked out again. 
And if you look, um, verse 14, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water, and he gave it to Hagar. So here's food, here's water, get out. He sent them on her, he set them on her shoulders, and then he sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. Have you ever wandered in the desert of Beersheba? <laughs> I don't mean physically, right? Have you ever just tried to go do your own thing? Have you ever tried to figure life out on your own? Like, God, I know they told me this, and I know they told me, but, but God, just back off for a little bit. I'm going to go do it on my own. That's wandering in the desert of Beersheba. That's I'm leaving to try it on my terms. Like, I know what you say, God, but I think this way. I know what you say, God, but I'm going to do this. Have you ever been there? It's a dangerous place to be. And God shows up. So notice verse 15. When the water in the skin had gone, she put her boy under one of the bushes. Now think about what this would mean for a mother. Verse 16. Then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow's shot away, for she thought, I cannot wash the boy what? Like this is a crazy story when you think about it. And as she sat there nearby, she began I think you see the picture of the story. Notice the next verse. What does it say? God heard the boy cry. The boy whose name is God hears finds himself now without a mother, <laughs> without water, without any hope. Mom left him there to die. She couldn't bear to watch it, so she goes off to die by herself. And once again, is that a, is that a big mess? Is that a sticky situation? Absolutely. Again, have you ever been in a situation that felt sticky? Have you ever been in a mess maybe that you created yourself? Maybe that just happened because other people did you wrong? The second basic need that I would suggest to you is that God is the God who hears. When you cry, Psalms even says, Psalms 56, that God has a bottle and he catches all of your tears. Isn't that a tender picture from the psalmist? Like every time you tear, God brings a bottle. God hears. God sees. That's a beautiful picture of God. Again, what would your life look like if you knew that every time you cried out to God, you had confidence that he heard you? What if every time that you were in a sticky situation or your life felt like a mess or it just took a turn that you didn't want it to or, or you lost this or lost that or something happened? And what if you remembered God is the God who hears you? Like, it's not going to go beyond his notice. I like this story. A lady is uh, around the holidays going to the post office to mail something, right? She's in line. And all she has is one card that she's trying to send. Another person behind her has packages, and they're in line. And the people in front package, 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 package. Like, everybody's got stuff to mail near the holidays. So the person behind her is like a younger person, and he sees the lady in front, and all she has is a card. And he's thinking, there's an automated machine outside. Like, you just swipe your card and get a stamp. You could take, like, stamp, put it in. You don't have to wait in line. And so he gets curious, and he asks the old lady in front of him. He says, ma'am, do you realize that there's an automated machine outside that could sell you a stamp? You could stick it on there, and you could mail it, and you wouldn't have to wait in line? And the lady says, uh-huh. And stays in line. 
And so the, the young guy's like, wait, wait, do you not understand that you wouldn't have to stay here all this time? Like you wouldn't have to waste all your time. And you could go outside. He almost wanted to buy the stamp for her. Like, and the lady said, yeah, I know. And he's like, come on. So he's like, why are you still in line? You know what the lady said? Because the machine doesn't ask you how I'm doing. What does that tell you? She wants the connection. She wants to be heard. She wants someone to share life with her. She wants someone who will listen. She wants someone who will enter in and say, how's your dog doing? Or how's your grandpa? Is he still sick? Anybody know what that's like? To just want to be heard. To just want to have someone listen. Did you know that there's a whole industry in the United States called psychology? Just because people need someone to listen. Have you ever thought about that? Someone to actually help me sort through what's going on in my head. Someone to help me make sense of the things that I don't understand. Someone to, to actually listen. So people will pay other people to actually listen to them. To actually give the time of day to care. Or at least pretend they care. That's amazing to me. And what an opportunity for us to be there for other people, right? What an opportunity for us to come alongside someone who's struggling and be like, I'm here for you. I'm ready to listen. Have you ever noticed that there are people who listen and there are people who pretend that they listen? None of us like the pretend listeners, right? Because later on you ask them, hey, do you remember this? Or, you never told me that. Like, I told you five times. Weren't you listening? Like some of you know this story, right? Some of you have lived this story. And how beautiful and how rich it is when you have someone actually hear you. And what I would like to share with you, first, we want to be seen. Second, we want to be heard. It's like this little girl who comes up to her dad and he's poking her, daddy, daddy, daddy. And he's like, yeah, but he's reading the newspaper. Like this was a few years ago, right? He's reading the newspaper. She's like, daddy, 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 listen to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm listening, I'm listening. Keeps reading the newspaper. So finally she grabs his hand, pulls the paper down, says, no, daddy, listen to me with your eyes. <laughs> like she wants his eyes to look. And when you look at someone, how does that make you feel like they're listening? Most of the time, they say for little kids, when they're little, if you put your hands on their shoulders and square up with them and look at them at eye level and look into their eyes, it helps them focus. It helps them say, okay, I need to listen. Like this is an important moment. Sometimes if you're with your spouse and it's a moment where you're talking or a good friend and you're trying to get their attention, you're like, no, I need you to hear this. I need you to listen to me. Like I need you to be there with me. Your eyes help you listen. It's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? But your eyes can help you to listen and then staying engaged and, and asking questions and following up and, and giving feedback. Like someone said it this way, it's like a drive-through, right? Like you go up to a drive-through window, whatever your restaurant is of choice, and you said like this, this, none of that, take this off of that and this, this, and what do they do? So let me read your order back to you, right? So you want this, this, none of that, take this off of that. And if they get it right, then you're like, good, my order should be right. Now sometimes it isn't, I get that, that's fine. That's not a perfect illustration. But that drive-through feedback sometimes is helpful in conversation. Did you say that you need this, this, and this from me? Did I hear you say that if I did less of this and more of that, that would help our relationship? Did I understand that this is what you meant or did you mean more of this? Could you clarify that for me? Like that's listening. And I don't know about you, but when I feel heard, 
That's a great feeling. When I feel like someone's actually listened to me and I don't have to repeat it three, four, five times and know that they weren't actually listening or, or they were on their phone texting while I was trying. Like, I know the difference between listening and not listening. And I know what it feels like to be heard. And the nice thing is that God never is texting while you're talking. God's never multitasking, making dinner while you're trying to open your heart to him, right? God can focus on us and zoom in on us as if we're the only person in the world talking to him. I don't know about you, but if there are two people talking to me, if I'm on the phone and somebody in the room starts talking to me, like I get confused. I'm just going to say, like, that's me. I know people who can be on the phone and talking and doing this and watching the TV. I'm like, well, how, what are you doing? I need the focused attention, and I know what that feels like. So whenever you get stuck somewhere, I invite you to remember Genesis 21. God is the God who hears. Undivided. Uninterrupted. Focused. Listening. Squared up with you. Engaged. It gives you a sense of, I matter. It gives you a sense of, I'm important. The third and final basic need that I would suggest that we have is a need to be loved. If we are seen, and we are heard, and we are loved, and we get that all of that comes from God, I tell you, you can face a lot of stuff. Amen. You could go through some heavy storms. Like, I'm talking Category 5 hurricane. If you don't have this, even tropical storms will freak you out. If you don't have this, you see on the, the, uh, the news that, hey, there's a... a a thunderstorm coming to set. But when you understand these three things, you've got God sees me. God hears me. God loves me. God's with me. Let him stand near. If God is with me, who can be against me? You, You understand what I'm saying? And I'm arguing this morning that while we all have basic needs, I would say once those basic needs are met, like we need air, we need food, we need water, that's a fact. We need shelter. I get that. But after that, we still have needs as people. We still need to know that someone sees us, someone hears us, and someone loves us. And that someone is none other than God himself. For this part, I'd like to bring your attention to Luke chapter 15. It's a familiar story to you. Luke chapter 15, you have three things that are lost, right? The lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, otherwise known as the prodigal son. And if you go through this last story, you see all the different layers of all the things that happen in his life. The son comes to his father and basically says, I wish you were dead. You don't get someone's inheritance until they what? Die. So basically, he's like telling his dad, I wish you were dead. I want my money now. I don't like there's no connection here. Just give me the money. Go ahead and die. Give me the money. And so the dad like this is where everybody was shocked when they heard the story, because the dad actually does it. The dad actually gives the son half of the money. It's like this was the biggest slap in the face that you could have given in that culture. I wish you were dead. And the dad says, it's where you are. It's okay. I wish it wasn't. But yeah, here's half of my kingdom. And the son goes and squanders it. You know the story. The most powerful verse to me is verse 17. And this is where some of us have our aha moments. Verse 17, the first six words, when he came to his senses. Like all of us have to have those moments in life, right? Where the lights come on, where it clicks, where we come to our senses and we realize what we're doing isn't getting us to where we want it to go. 
The path that we're on is only leading us to destruction. The habits that we have are only leading us to hurt and pain. Somewhere, some moment, all of us have to come to this. We come to our senses. We come to this moment where, oh, man, I need to do a 180. If I keep this up, it's not going to lead me to the path that I want. If we never get to that point, have mercy on us, right? Because you are setting yourself up for struggle. You're setting yourself up for even more heartache and more hurt. But he comes to his senses and he realizes that even the hired hands, even the servants that live in my father's house, have it better than I do right now. So he realizes, I've got to go home. I've got to apologize. I've got to say, God, uh, Father, please, like, I'll work for you the rest of my life as a servant. I don't even want to be a son again. Like, he's just, he's that, he came to his senses that deeply. Like, and if you know what I'm talking about, there's this moment where you're almost kind of embarrassed to come back to God. Because you're like, I was such a fool. Like, I was so blind. Like, I thought I had it all together. I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought it was making sense. But I realized how dumb I really was. And you realize this. And, and you realize, I, I don't even deserve to come back. Like, I, I just, just let me kind of hang out at the gate. Like, I, I'll be a servant. And that's the journey that he's on. And you'll remember the story. The father, when he sees him, he comes running, right? And the father comes running. And he, he comes. He's filled with compassion. And he runs to his son. And the son starts his speech, right? Father, forgive me. And the, the dad's like, uh, can we have a party? And he says, go kill the fatted calf. Go get the feast ready. And he says, bring a robe. Put new clothes on my son. Get the ring back. The ring was like the dad's signature. Access to the credit card. Access to the accounts. Access to all the wealth again. He's like, you're back. You're my son. And he gets all of this. And as he goes on, the dad just kind of moves through. The son all of a sudden realizes the dad's love for him. Now, if you've ever been loved by someone that you've hurt in a big way, you might come close to understanding what this son is talking about. Like if you ever get past the hurt to where you can restore the relationship and you can feel the love of someone who forgives you, the love of someone who gives you a restart, the love of someone who gives you a do-over, the love of someone who says, I know you wronged me, but I'm going to overlook the offense and I'm going to love you anyway. Then you come close to this. And I love the prodigal son story because it meets that third basic need that we all have, this desire deep inside of us to feel loved and to feel loved for who we really are. You know what they say, a friend of mine? He said, in six weeks, how long? Six weeks. He meets a girl. He marries the girl. They were both in their 30s when they met. Now, I'm not recommending that. That's not, that's not a thus saith the Lord. But he told me why. He said, when I was in my teens and in my 20s, he said, we spent the first six months trying to impress the other person. We spent the first six months trying to show how good we were, how nice we were. Like we'd open the door. We'd say, please. We'd say, thank you. We wouldn't show them that we'd throw our clothes on the floor. Like we don't give them access to that. Like we wait for marriage for that. Like, what? <laughs> but he said, we decided that we weren't going to play games, right? So in six weeks, they said, this is how they met the first date. These are my issues. These are my flaws. These are the things I'm really bad at. These are my bad habits. The other person said, these are my flaws. These are my issues. This is all the ugly. Everything, you, everything that you wouldn't want to know about me, I'm telling you on the first date. And they said, okay, I can live with that. The other one said, okay, I can live with that. They said, all right, let's do this. And they got married six weeks later. And I was like, isn't that what everybody wants? Not to get married in six weeks, but 
Isn't that what everybody wants, to be intimately known by someone and accepted and loved? Like, I'm not a perfect human being. Here's a fact. Sorry if I break your bubble, but you're not a perfect human being. The person you're married to, not a perfect being. Nobody's a perfect human being. We've all got issues. We all struggle with stuff. So why not be known for that? Sometimes because we don't feel safe. Sometimes because we're not sure how they'll accept us or reject us or, or like us or not like us. But what if you and I could feel fully loved and not afraid that what you know about me is going to change how you think about me? That what you know about me is not going to change how you feel about me? And with God, we can do that. And sometimes I watch myself. Sometimes I watch other Christians struggle with this. Like, well, I can't tell God that. What? He already knows. And he still loves you. That's amazing. Like, if you've ever messed up, you know how amazing that is. If you still think that you're a pretty good person and Jesus only needs to help you a little bit to get in, like, you're not too amazed by that yet. But the day that you come to your senses and the day that you realize that it's all because of Jesus that you get a chance to go to heaven, that's the day where you realize, I'm pretty lovable. I'm loved in spite of the ugly. I'm loved in spite of the flaws. I'm loved even with all my baggage. I'm loved even with all my problems. I'm loved even with all my messes. I'm loved. And that's a sweet place to be. And I would desire that for anybody who's in a relationship, that you would come to that place with your partner, that you would both realize you're loved. So here's where I have a challenge for you. Do you want to be seen by God today? Do you want to be heard by God today? What's that thing that you need to just lay down and, and, and say, God, I know you hear me. And what's that thing where you need to realize that you are loved by God today? Maybe you've been beating yourself up. Maybe you've been hard on yourself. Maybe you haven't forgiven yourself. Maybe you haven't let go of something. And God wants you to let go of that today. Because he is the God who sees, hears, and loves. My first challenge today is that we would embrace that as an individual, that we would let the warmth of that reality that we are seen, heard, and loved by God overwhelm us. My second and last challenge to you is, would you pray to God that he would help you to see someone around you that needs to be seen, that is longing to be heard? desires to be loved and that God would put that name into your head and into your heart and that you would so let that grab hold of you that you would cry out to the God who sees, hears, and loves you and say, God, help me to see, hear, and love that person that you've put into my head. Any takers on that? Because here's what I'm convinced of. If we can let this get a hold of us, I have a relationship with the God who sees, hears, and loves me. I think the natural next step is, God, let me go see, hear, and love someone else. And then that person will feel seen, heard, and loved by God and by you. And then what do they want to do? They want to go find somebody else. And we can start to be a part of the healing that this world needs. We can be a part of the restoration work that Jesus is doing in this world. And it starts with us. So for whatever you need from God today to get those basic needs met of seen, heard, and loved, talk to him about it. 
for wherever you need to take that next step and say, God, who do you want to put into my life that I can go see, hear, and love? Bring that name to my mind. And then partner with God to help them see a new picture of who he is. Please pray with me. Our God and our Father, we come in the name of Jesus. And thank you so much that we can come just as we are. We don't have to try to clean ourselves up. We don't have to try to get things better before we come to you. Your invitation is to come. And God, I don't know every story of every person here in this place or watching online. I don't know exactly what their hurts are. I don't know what aches them. I don't know what angers them. I don't know what they're holding on to. But I do know what you offer us today. And that's yourself. You offer to be the God who sees, the God who hears, and the God who loves. And I thank you for how amazing that is to know that that's our God. And God, I thank you for those that are ready to take that next step. They get it. They know that they're seen, heard, and loved, and, and they want others to experience that too. And God, I believe that some people in here have heard you speak to them today and put names into their minds. And some are still going to keep praying until you do put that name into their mind. Because I know for a fact that there are people in this world that want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be loved. May we be that extension of you, God. And show up and help them to see that they are seen, heard, and loved. And better than just us doing that, may we point them to you as the God who sees, hears, and loves us. So we thank you for these gifts. We thank you that you supply our basic needs. You continue, you continue to give us water, food, air, shelter. And thank you that you continue to give us these other basic needs of being seen, heard, and loved. In the name of Jesus, we pray.